0: Good afternoon. I'm Al I Thank you for joining me. I got a, an email asking a question about the uh, New Testament, about the origins of the New Testament. It was actually directed uh, to the, uh, a question about the Blessed Mother and asking, was Mary alive during the actual writing of the Gospels? If so, did she affect it in any way? And I took the occasion in answering that question to just lay out in a fairly simple way what scholars know about the origins of the New Testament books. And I think it's just fascinating. And one of my great regrets is that neither in the Protestant world or in the Catholic world do priests and pastors take the time to help uh, parishioners and congregants actually understand how we got the New Testament. We know it's 27 books, but most people actually think of it as a single book. It's actually a library of 27 books, and we actually have a fairly good idea that there were other sources that the gospel writers used. So I'm going to go over that now because this is not very controversial at all. But I do think that we've made the mistake of not educating people about this. I know when I was an undergraduate, I became uh, a Christian, and I can remember uh, having to fight my way through these questions uh, with various professors. Now, since that time, <laughs> this, the tide of New Testament criticism uh, has really come uh, down on our way. And it's much more conservative today than it was back in the 1970s. So let me go over a few of these things. Uh, we have the four Gospels. And we have the letters of James and Paul. now all of those those six documents contain early allusions uh, and descriptions of Jesus' life and teachings, and we also are confident that we have discerned sources that the gospel writers relied on, and this gives us many sources that attest to the events and teachings of Jesus. The earliest written gospel. And I'm speaking here, this is the consensus of New Testament scholarship. There is a minority position on this. But the earliest written gospel is generally thought to be Mark. And the bishop of Hierapolis, Papius, who lived from 60 until 130, actually wrote that Mark became Peter's interpreter and wrote accurately all that he remembered. So we've got the Gospel of Mark being basically the memoirs uh, of St. Peter. Catholics believe James was the foster brother of Jesus, and we have an epistle, a letter from James, written somewhere between 50 and 62 AD. It's difficult to actually pin it down, but here's what you may not have heard. The letter of James contains more allusions to the sayings of Jesus than any other New Testament document outside the four Gospels. Now, this makes a lot of sense, because if he was the foster brother of Jesus, uh, you can imagine for some period of time anyways, him sitting at the feet of his rabbi brother. Let me give you an example of what I mean. In uh, Luke chapter 20, verse 46, Jesus teaches, Beware of the scribes who like to go about in long robes and love salutations in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. In James, the second chapter, we've got this. For if a man with gold rings and in fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, hey, have a seat up here in front, please, while you say to the poor man, stand there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Uh, again, you can see this is clearly drawn from the teaching of Jesus. It doesn't preserve the teaching um in exact verbal form, but there's can be no doubt of the reliance. Jesus, in Luke 6, uh, verse 25, says, Woe to you that are full now, for you shall hunger. Woe to you that laugh now, for you shall mourn. And in James chapter 4, verse 9, you can see him saying, or we can read him, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to dejection. So he takes really the Teaching of Jesus, which those two woes that he pronounces, and uh, he applies them into the congregation he's writing to uh, in matthew six nineteen we've got the very famous passage: Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal and over in James chapter five, verse two, your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth eaten anyways there's a dozen or so at least uh, reliances. Uh, that James has on the uh, teaching that we find in in the Gospels. Uh, so again, in the letter of James, uh, we've got more allusions, uh, not exact quotations, but very clear allusions to the sayings of Jesus than any other New Testament document outside the four Gospels. Um, now we have St. Paul whose documents are really the earliest documents we have in the New Testament. He wrote between 48 and, say, 64, 65. And he occasionally refers to details from Jesus' earthly life. Now, he doesn't spend a lot of time on this. That isn't what he's he's doing. He's building churches, and he's trying to solve problems with them. But he does have occasion, of course, to refer to the earthly life of Jesus. He talks about Jesus as a descendant from King David. He uses uh, Jesus' teaching when he's instructing missionaries uh, and when he teaches about marriage, love, and the treatment of enemies. Clearly, his instruction is taken from Jesus. The institution of the Eucharist is, again, drawn from what we see in the Gospels. It was the same tradition. Paul's drawing from the very same tradition that the, Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels are drawing from. Uh, He refers to Jesus' execution, his burial, the betrayal, the resurrection, the appearances of Jesus uh, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, refers to Jesus, of course, as the Jewish Messiah. And it's interesting to note that Luke, the, the gospel writer Luke, is actually Paul's traveling companion through portions of the Acts of the Apostles you hear that this was written by Luke as well. And there are a number of places where uh, Luke says, we did this, we did that. And he's referring to himself in St. Paul. Luke, in the prologue to his gospel, really gives us an amazing outline of his sources. He says that uh, he's consulted with various eyewitnesses and those who are ministers of the word. Historical accuracy is very important to him. Uh, Luke was well-equipped to write history. And the form his history took arose not out of his imagination, it arose out of the historical events themselves. And uh, some scholars believe that Luke may have even used material from Mark, chapter 13, in editing his 21st chapter, describing the signs at the end of the age. I'll have more to say about Luke a little bit later. But uh, Matthew and Luke uh, do repeat considerable material from Mark. Uh, but there's material that Luke and Matthew quote that isn't in Mark. Where did it come from? Scholars posit an independent source that they call Q. Now, we don't have any documents of Q, so this is a projection. This is uh, to help account for the common stories uh, in Luke and Matthew that are not found in Mark. Now, there are portions of Luke's gospel as well, which are unique to him, uh, and they don't display his traditional writing style. So scholars believe that he had a special source called El, and it contains the parables like the Good Samaritan, the Prodigal Son, the story of Zacchaeus, the forgiving of the prostitute, and none of that material appears in any of the other Gospels. Now, some people uh, wonder about the Gospel of John. Most people think it's the last to be written, and uh, but it relies upon... Uh, it's constructed very artfully. You have seven signs, uh, great miracles, identifying Jesus. You have seven I am statements. Uh, the Gospel of John shows that he wasn't just a stenographer following Jesus, although it does claim to be eyewitness testimony. Um, but this was very artfully constructed to demonstrate that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, a lot of people wonder about the infancy narratives. Uh, Joseph, Mary, of course, had to be the original sources for those stories. There were no other human beings there. And yet, when you look at the infancy narratives in Matthew and in, and in Luke, they really do read quite differently, and they cover different material, which makes me think that, they, you know, that Mary and Joseph didn't sit down with Matthew and Luke and give them the whole story. Uh, so I, I don't know exactly what the transmission is there. They had to originally come from Mary and Joseph. But most married couples, when they tell stories, they kind of gel together. That's not true with the infancy narratives in Matthew and Luke. That's why I think they come from a different line of uh, tradition. The sourcing for the Gospels is incredible uh, in the ancient world. I mean, and this is what I actually resent a bit, that we don't let people know how extraordinarily firm are the writings of the New Testament. I'll give you an example. Uh, If you want to know something about uh, Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, you have to rely on sources that are 350 years after his death. Uh, The writings of uh, Judaism's most famous rabbi, Hillel, Uh, he lived about— 100 B.C. to 10 A.D. And we don't have any of his writings until about 200 A.D. Muhammad, his first biography appears 75 years after his, or 125 years, excuse me, uh, after his death. And then they edited that for another 50 years. With Jesus, we actually have information going back to within, I think, months of the crucifixion and resurrection. In St. Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, the tradition that he's passing on in the first nine verses there uh, are taken, I think, from the earliest possible sources. That's the preaching of the apostles on Pentecost. Sometimes Christians get a little queasy about all these different sources. They shouldn't. The more witnesses, the more secure the reporting. And uh, Luke's a good example of a writer who's drawing upon multiple sources. He notes when he, he has a patron named Theophilus, and he's writing to his patron, and he says, let me tell you where I'm drawing my material. He says there are other written accounts, many other written accounts, and so he's certainly drawing from those written accounts. He also speaks of the eyewitnesses that he has consulted with, and he also talks about servants of the word or ministers of the word which is a technical phrase referring to those who were the guardians of the oral tradition. Uh, These are memorized reports of the things that Jesus did and said in the presence of his followers. Now, sometimes people get uncomfortable with oral tradition because we live in a very uh, literary culture. We print things. So when we want to preserve important stuff, we print it out. Uh, That wasn't true in the ancient world. It was an oral culture. And uh, this means that people learned important material not by reading it or writing it, but by hearing it. And so recollections, recollections of Jesus' life and teachings became fixed very early on. And the ideal disciple in the rabbinic tradition was, it was remarked of the ideal disciple that he was like a cistern that is not broken. He loses not a drop. So the good disciple was one that remembered the Master's teaching and lost nothing.